Welcome to Virginia Outdoor Adventures podcast. We bring outdoor adventure stories and recommendations from athletes, conservationists, authors, park guides, community leaders, and local business owners from across the Commonwealth. I'm your host, Jessica Bowser. Today's guest, Jacqueline, is known by her trail name, RVA Hiker Girl. She's an avid hiker and backpacker who documents her adventures on YouTube as a resource for those who are interested in exploring Virginia. Jacqueline gets real about her experiences outdoors, including the good and the not-so-great moments of her time on the trail. Her videos cover all aspects of hiking, including planning, gear, food, and safety. Jacqueline's detailed descriptions and recommendations of locations around Virginia is invaluable for anyone who wants to get outside on their own or with a friend. Let's go. Okay, all set? Yep. Yay, let's do this, girl. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Jacqueline, welcome to Virginia Outdoor Adventures. Great to be here. Um, I love listening to your podcast, so the pleasure's all mine. What do you love about Virginia's outdoors? Oh my gosh, there's so many things to love about the state of Virginia in general, but the outdoors especially. We just have such a diverse topography in, in our state. Whether you're starting out at Virginia Beach where you're at sea level, um, you go up to our fall line where all the beautiful waterfalls are, and to the rolling hills of of the mountains before you even get to the mountains, but up to the highest point um, that you can go out to the western part of the state out to Mount Rogers, which gosh, that's 5,700 feet, I think, in elevation. And then you just have incredible bodies of water that we have from the Atlantic Ocean, our lakes, our rivers, gosh, our public lands. We have, I think it's 3.7 million acres that I read the other day in public lands that we have to explore. And that really includes like all of our state and national parks, our nature preserves, um, which I think are sometimes underutilized. People don't really get out to those that much. But we are fortunate to have so many hardwood forests. Um, We have such diverse animal population. Um, Anytime you go out, you can see so many white-tailed deer, sometimes black bear, if you're fortunate enough to spot one, amphibians, reptiles. I mean, it's it our state is just loaded um, with animals. And of course, one of my favorite places to go hike, we're fortunate enough to have the Appalachian Trail that runs right through our state. Um, 544 miles of that trail. So I always love to go check that out and explore it. You and I actually found each other on social media. Instead of getting introduced by somebody else, you and I just discovered each other's uh, podcast and YouTube channel. And then uh, we kind of hit it off right away. I mean, of course we did, right? Like we're always... (laughs) outside doing the same activities and we met up for a hike and you do so many fun hikes and you're so great about sharing all of those hikes. And so I want to get into, um, you know, some of the things that we can share with the listeners, but before we do, can you talk a little bit about how long you've been hiking and backpacking? Sure. Well, I haven't been actually hiking and backpacking that long. I actually got into it a little bit later in life. But for me, I think it really all started from where I grew up as a kid. Um, I lived on a beautiful 34-acre farm out in Powhatan County. And as a kid, I was really outside just playing 
every single day. And we had huge gardens and grew our own fruits and vegetables. We truly just lived in the outdoors as often as we can. And we never went inside except for when it got dark. And I really think growing up in that sort of environment is truly what instilled my love and my passion for the outdoors. And I I think back just like my dad um, would during a birthing process, he actually delivered um, a breech calf and that just amazed me and watching geese hatch out of um, their eggs, baby geese, and then gosh, building four foot snow drifts with my brother, that all of those things just really instilled like the outdoors and just, I just had to be outside like all the time. And so if you fast forward from being a kid and growing up, I was a biology teacher And I love teaching my kids all about plants and animals and um, environmental conservation. And one of my favorite things to do was to take them outside on field trips. And I mean, we would go outside and I would say, what kind of clouds are these? And um, what kind of tree is this by identifying the bark and the leaves? And after that, I pretty much got busy with life and I really had to start soul searching what was missing. And after a lot of that soul searching, I decided it was because I wasn't going outside like I used to, and I wasn't being active in the outdoors. And so I really thought I need to get back into doing those things that I always loved. So I started doing a first day hike, um, like a lot of people do at the beginning of the year, setting those New Year's resolutions. And I set that uh, a goal for the 52 hike challenge, which is hiking 52 hikes within a year. And I was going out multiple times a week. And I really kind of blew that out of the water because I think I did like 80 hikes that uh, year. And then so during that time frame, I decided I was going to do the 365 mile challenge. And same thing. I think I logged in over 500 miles um, that first year of being out on the trail. Um, But then it kind of took a different turn because being outside became a coping kind of healing mechanism because I lost my mom and I just needed to kind of be away from everyone and everything. And when you're outside in the woods by yourself, sometimes whether you want to deal with things or not, things come to the forefront and you have to deal with them. And so that's kind of where that all started. And I started with day hikes. I progressed to multi-day hikes and camping and backpacking and then even some kayaking along the way. And I really just started reading and researching everything I could get my hands on um, to try to learn about new hikes and new places to go. So what got you interested in documenting your adventures in videos? People go outside all the time, but not too many people make YouTube channels <laughs> and post all of their hikes on there. So what made you decide to go that route? Right. Well, I personally started watching YouTube videos and doing my research for looking for places to go and hike. And sometimes those YouTube videos out there have more information than you can actually find on a website when you do a Google or search engine search looking for a place to go. 
And so I actually started following some Appalachian Trail through hikers, um, one of Rich uh, Frozen Outdoor Adventures and another couple of ladies, the Wonder Women, who are a group of ladies in their 50s and 60s. And they just uh, they hike all over our country. And so I started watching them and I just became intrigued. And I started thinking, well, what if I did that as sort of a resource for people in the state of Virginia who are looking for hikes just like myself. And so I decided to start my own YouTube channel and I named it after my trail name, RVA Hiker Girl. And so I basically started like anybody else, kind of um, naive and didn't know what I was doing. And I was actually afraid to talk in front of the camera. And so my first few videos were just pictures that I put to music. And then when I rewatched them, I'm like, this is not very good. You're going to have to talk. So I started talking more and more. And so now it's almost like second nature to be in front of the camera and vlog and tell people about the different trails and my experiences on the trail. And I also really like the creative process behind it. I've really started getting into that more and more and I've almost become a student um, of the craft. So that in itself has been fun. And my subscribers uh, on my YouTube channel, they are so supportive of everything that I, crazy things that I try and do. So they have been really great uh, throughout this process. It almost feels like you can get to know you through watching your YouTube channel because your videos are very personal. I mean, certainly you show the different aspects of the hike and you show the trail and you show the different points along the trail and interesting things that you find. But all along, you're talking to the camera about what it's actually like to be out there. And a lot of that is from your perspective. So when you're talking about how beautiful it is or what's neat about it, but then you're also talking about things that make you nervous or um, things to look out for, or, you know, even if you're not feeling well, like there are a couple of videos where you're not feeling well and you're documenting that entire process, or you talk about um, how important it is to drink enough water, or you're going to end up getting dehydrated. Like one of the videos that you were in <laughs> and <laughs> that you had made. And uh, I think you just get very real and people can connect with that, especially uh, people who are new to hiking and don't necessarily think about those things or even experienced hikers. Like when I was watching one of the videos of you dehydrated, I'm nodding my head going, I can't believe she's out there in 90 something <laughs> degree heat in August. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's really funny to be able to watch those and, and to really connect with you. So I can understand why folks would be so supportive of that type of video. Yeah, you know, I have always from the very beginning said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to really document what it truly is like. Because, you know, a lot of what you see sometimes, people are portraying always that it's rainbows and butterflies. And the real truth behind it is hiking is not 100% always fun. I mean, just as you have a good day or a bad day in real life, you can have those same experiences out on the trail. So if I am having a gallbladder attack, which one of my Virginia State Parks, uh, First Lady State Park video, I was having a gallbladder attack while I was out there. And I actually documented me talking while I was actually having one. And I think that you're right. I think a lot of the reaction that I've had for my viewers is that they appreciate that 
you know, I'm showing real life while I am talking in, in these videos and, you know, from something that's not pleasant, like hiker rash, heat rash. And I actually show my ugly looking uh, heat rash on my ankles that I get in the summertime. And I did a video on how to try to prevent it and the, and the measures I've taken over the years and the holistic ways that I've tried to deal with it. So yeah, I hope, I hope people do appreciate that because like I said, I'm just being me. <laughs> You are being you and you cover a huge variety of topics. You also talk about food, which I really appreciate because I read recently somewhere that one of the big reasons that people don't do longer trips or longer trails is because they don't know how to prepare as far as packing meals. And you really address that in your video. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I've always been a foodie my whole life. I love cooking. And so when I started hiking, I had the same exact um, thought process that everyone else has. What am I going to take with me? And it first started out, I was just grabbing, you know, processed bars and, and everything, you know, peanut butter, tuna, all the typical things that a new hiker, you know, is, is going to try to take because it's conveniently packaged um, for people to take. But after a while, you get tired of eating the same sort of foods. And so I started researching myself, okay, what else can I take? And I quickly started realizing anything that you pretty much can cook at home, you can actually take with you on the trail if you do it the right way. So I basically started making videos with what I take with me on, you know, even a day hike or a multi-day hike from breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all my snacks, what I'm drinking. I've made videos on to try to help people. Um, when I go camping, I have done some videos about campfire cooking, making campfire donuts and, and different things like that. And recently I have um, become a vegan for, for health reasons, but a lot of people are interested in those uh, vegan food items because they're even harder um, because there aren't as many that are in um, well, really conveniently packaged out there. So um, that has been fun and kind of a new journey for me to also explore. Um, but yeah, I'm just, you know, taking a tortilla with tuna. I mean, that gets old for a lot of people fast. So I, I hope that, you know, my videos will help give some people some new ideas of things that they can try to take out that maybe they hadn't thought about taking out on the trail before. The way you walk through it is really helpful too, because you lay all the food out on your kitchen counter and you <sighs> say, this row is day one and this row is day two. And you go through every food item and you talk about what you're having for breakfast, what you're having for lunch, what's going to be a snack, what's for dinner. And you also discuss how you chose those food items. So you make sure that you have a certain you know number of fruits and vegetables and proteins and nuts and grains. And you literally like lay it all out so that it makes sense nutritionally. And then you talk about how you're going to pack it and, and how you're going to prepare it. So it's really helpful information. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I really have tried to give the recipes like, cause I dehydrate a lot of my own um, vegetables and make my own meals because I don't particularly care for the dehydrated meals that are on the market. Um, they just don't appeal to me nutritionally, but then the taste sometimes really isn't that great. So I really wanted to make my own so I could control the amount of salt and the nutrients. And 
um, what I really enjoyed. And so I like to give people those recipes so they can try it on their own to see how much better it actually tastes if you have the time um, to put into, you know, creating them on your own. Yeah, it's something that I recently started to think about even more. And I had sort of already been thinking about it because like you said, you can only eat peanut butter and jelly so many times um, before you're like, okay, maybe there's something else out there. And when I saw what you were doing, it really was enlightening because up until then, all the research that I had done online was finding recipe books essentially for outdoor cooking that required a lot of special ingredients, uh, you know, special stoves or different tools that were necessary to be able to cook it dehydrators, things that I didn't have. But then I looked at what you were doing and I'm like, oh, I could totally do this. Oh, and where'd she get that Trader Joe's? Oh, I can totally go get that. But other than food, um, how else do you prepare for a day or overnight trip? I'm a planner. So I really like to plan well in advance if I can. But first you have to decide where you're going to go. And sometimes that is really the hardest part of it all because we have so many choices in Virginia of where we can go and check out. Um, you have to decide how many days um, that you're going. Is it just going to be a day hike? Is it going to be overnight or a multi-day hike? Um, how far I'm going to drive? Um, it, how much time I actually have um, off to go actually go on the hike? Um, and I do tons of research. I research the trail, the elevation that I'm going to experience when I do get out there, the mileage of the trail. I print off a map. Um, or download a route that's on my phone on various apps that I use there. I always check the weather because as we know, as fellow Virginians, if if you don't like the weather, you just wait a second because it'll change, you know. Um, I, um, of course, we were just talking about food. I always plan out my food, whether I'm going to take my stove and my gas or I'm going to go stoveless. Um, Maybe I'm going to cold soak um, that that trip. Um, Do I need to dehydrate something or or prepare my meals? And then, you know, I have to think, am I going to be car camping um, with my tent or am I going to be taking my backpack and carry everything with me? Especially if I'm going to be hiking out on the Appalachian Trail, I always take extra Um, food for trail magic. Um, And trail magic, for those who might not know what that is, is extra things that you carry with you that you might provide to an Appalachian Trail through hiker or a section hiker. And you might have extra toilet paper that they're in need of or um, a carbonated beverage or, you know, snacks. So I always try to take extra things with me to hand out in case I do see somebody. When you and I were last together, you were talking about weight, especially when you're overnight backpacking Mm. and how you cut down on weight. And you told me that you even went so far as to break the handle off your toothbrush. Oh, yeah. What other things do you do to help save on weight when or other considerations when you're packing? For me, and this is highly individualized for everyone, my 26 pounds is kind of my max for a backpacking weight. And you know, your backpack already weighs whatever it weighs, depending on which type of pack that you have. And I have a framed pack. So yeah, our conversation was I cut the handle off of my toothbrush to save a little bit of weight there. Um, On my tent, I cut off the little pockets inside the tent. And while that some of that sometimes may sound a little bit frivolous, 
and, and that it wouldn't do much, those grams really do add up to pounds on your back. I don't take individual little travel size toothpaste with me. I have bought the reusable little plastic or yeah, they're plastic containers. And I put, you know, however much toothpaste I'm going to need in that container. I don't take a little, you know, face moisturizer container. I put it in those little plastic containers that I bought. So that really cuts down on your weight there. Um, your clothes. I mean, you don't have to take a lot of clothes with you. I mean, I don't want to carry the weight. I mean, obviously in the wintertime, you're going to be carrying more of your clothing items because you need to make sure that you're, you're warm enough. But in the summer, especially if I'm going on a two or three day trip, I'm wearing the clothes that I'm wearing and I have a set of sleep clothes and that's it. I don't care about <laughs> having a second cute outfit for day two and a second cute outfit for day three, because it's heavy. I mean, it really is. The clothes in themselves are heavy. Um, as far as other things, you know, you can spend all the money in the world for uh, it, on ultralight equipment. Um, not all of us have that budget to buy that super light equipment. So you have to pick and choose which items you're going to take with you. And, you know, sometimes you may have more weight for a particular tent. I have multiple tents. So if I'm going on a shorter hike, I might take my heavier tent. And if I'm going on a longer hike, I'll take my lighter weight tent. But it really does determine for me how what type of experience I'm going to have outside, because if I'm miserable with the weight that's on my pack, then I'm not going to be able to enjoy the outdoors nearly as much as I could if I just would have left a few extra things at home for that trip. Let's talk about safety precautions. You know, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. And in a previous episode that I did with another guest, Donna Shaughnessy, she's a solo kayaker and she goes on these long multi-night trips in her kayak by herself. And we were talking about safety and we kind of laughed about it a little bit because she and I often get asked questions like, how can you go hiking by yourself? Or how could you be out there for multiple days alone? Aren't you afraid that something's going to happen to you? And we kind of laughed about what, what could actually be out there that could get us. Right. And then, <laughs> and I kind of feel bad about that because not even a couple of days later, I came across this article online and the title of it was something like the biggest threat to women on the AT is men. And the article talked about how women who are hiking the Appalachian Trail alone often come across strange men. Some of them are hikers. Some of them are local people who go up to the trail. And then it was account after account after account of women telling stories where they were inappropriately touched or they were stalked or they were followed or they made friends with a guy on the trail. And then, you know, three days into it, he decides to touch her inappropriately or she's changing her clothes and he intentionally walks up on her or all kinds of crazy things have happened to the point where some women have actually had to leave the trail to get away from stalkers, which might not sound like that big of a deal. But when you think that when you're hiking the entire Appalachian Trail, you're taking like a year off of your off of life and planning for months in advance and saving up money and you go out to do this big thing and then to have that end because somebody was stalking you is not only a huge disappointment but it is uh, it's ridiculous like nothing like that should ever happen and so after reading that article I started wondering maybe I should be thinking more about safety and I'm wondering since you do so much um, hiking and backpacking have you ever had any experience like that? 
Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a rare thing, I, I really think, to really happen. I, I have had one experience in particular, um, and you mentioned the Appalachian Trail. I was actually on the Appalachian Trail myself, and I was doing a 40-mile backpacking trip that I was doing solo. And it was actually my very first time doing a solo backpacking trip. And I chose the Appalachian Trail because it is a well-known trail where you're always going to see other people. And you have shelters that you can stay at either in the shelter or tent outside of. And it usually is more of a community that's around those shelters. So it's a very common place for, for people to go hike because of that community. So I had actually um, stopped at a place to get water in a Maryland state park. And I had uh, a gentleman who was a backpacker. He walked the walk and talked the talk um, of a backpacker. And he said he was section hiking up to Katahdin from Virginia. And Katahdin is the ending point in Maine. And so we were, you know, talking back and forth. And um, the obvious shelter that you would go to at that time of the afternoon was just about three quarters of a mile, no, a third, a third of a mile up the trail. And so um, he asked if he could, you know, hike along with me up, up to, to that point. And, you know, at first it's like, okay, well, maybe this isn't a smart idea. I am by myself on the trail, but then I'm like, you know, he's a hiker, you know, everything's going to be fine. And then on the way up, he said something that, really made the pairs on my neck stand up. And he had mentioned about, did I do the roller coaster that day? And for those people that are familiar with the roller coaster, it's a section of the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. And I had mentioned I started in Harper's Ferry. So he would have known if he had hiked that section, as he said he did, that that section wasn't even in the state of Maryland, that it was in Virginia. And so I instantly started feeling uncomfortable. And so we got to the campsite and he chose the campsite directly next to mine when there were at least 20 spots that he could have chosen. And that somewhat made me feel uncomfortable, but he had said he was going to meet his friends up there and that he had brought his friend food and he was calling around for his friend and his friend never showed up. So more and more as these things were happening, I started feeling uncomfortable. And of course I had the option. I could just leave. I didn't have to stay there. I could pack up all of my stuff and go, but of course I didn't want to mess up my section hike that I was doing. So I started instinctually telling him that I was a YouTuber and that all of my Instagrammers and YouTube friends knew that I was coming up on this hike and that I was going to be doing a live video. And I really wasn't doing a live video, but it was sort of an instinctual thought process that if I pretended that he was on camera on film that I was doing and I was talking to people live and they saw him that maybe that would be a further type of protection for myself. So I did that. I pretended I was doing a live video and, you know, showed him in the background and said, Oh yeah, I'm here with um, another hiker and he's cowboy camping, which that means he didn't um, set up a tent. He was actually just camping out under the stars, which 
was very unusual in itself because if you're a section hiker, you're going to bring a tent um, to stay in. Um, and so I did that. And then later on, I pretended like I was on a phone call with some friends and invited them very loudly <laughs> to come up and join me um, if they wanted to that night and told them exactly where I was. So I kind of gave my location, gave his, you know, uh, what he looked like and that I was up there with him just kind of as a protection measure. And I always carry pepper spray with me on my backpack because I do, um, do a lot of solo hikes. And I also carry, actually, I started carrying after that experience, I went and, um, ordered a, um, knife that goes on a sheath, um, around a lanyard that goes around your neck. And I think between the pepper spray and the knife that that is a visual deterrent, at least in my mind, that's how I want it to, you know, to be. But also they're there for protection if I ever happen to need them. But it ended up it nothing ever happened um, with that circumstance. And could it have all been in my head? Maybe. But I've learned to listen to my instinct um, on the trail. And if something doesn't seem right, maybe it's not right. And you should, you know, you should listen to your instinct. Because as a woman being solo out on the trail, that's one of your most powerful tools is your instinct. I think all women rely on their instinct when it comes to that, because we always have to be sizing up the situation and looking for things that could be potentially of danger. Um, I was hiking um, in Shenandoah just a week ago, and I was on a trail by myself. The sun had just set, so it was starting to get dark, and I could see an overlook with the parking area from the trail. And there were two young gentlemen who were there and it was starting to get really cold and people had left. And then these two pulled up and I thought it was strange because the sun had already gone down and it was really overcast. So there really wasn't anything to see. And they were just sort of hanging out. And I was waiting for them to leave before I came back to my car because I thought it was strange that they were there. Um, and then they started to come down the trail, which is really weird when it's so close to dark that two guys would just start to walk down the trail that, you know, that close to dark. And they were coming right at me and I stepped off the trail, which I do all the time anyway, now in a, in a pandemic. And I wasn't really sure what to expect. You know, you just don't know why they're there. And neither one of them said anything to me, but I said, hello. And then one of them responded and they just walked by and nothing happened. Women have to always be looking out and thinking about what am I going to do if this man does present a threat? Right. The, you know, the hiking community is one of the best communities filled with some of the best people that I know of. And, you know, it, and it's not necessarily about being alone on trail. It, it could be being alone anytime, you know, outside doing any sort of recreation that, that you might do. But I think just, it, it really is a powerful tool for women just to run scenarios in their head, if situations ever did come up, what would you do? So if they do come up, you're prepared for it. I think it's always better just to be on the side of caution and to be prepared. And like you said, to be able to think through those scenarios in case they happen. I, I don't think it's likely to happen. I think that's all that also needs to be said. I, I've been hiking for most of my life and uh, around this area for 15 years or more. And I've never had a situation arise where anybody has posed any threat to me. I've had a couple of situations where something awkward happened and I wasn't sure if someone was, was a threat or not, but nothing's ever happened. So I don't think it's likely, but I also think it's wise to be prepared in case it does happen. 
Right. And as you mentioned, there is already um, a lot of people who question our sanity sometimes when, when women go out into the outdoors alone. And I think that, you know, being able to take care of yourself and be ready for those scenarios helps um, make those naysayers or people who think we're crazy kind of understand we got this, you know, we're ready for situations that come up. We have the necessary equipment. We've researched um, everything that we need to know. And we could fall down on the sidewalk and hurt ourselves just as easily as we could fall down walking down a trail. So I'm not going to not be in the outdoors because I have fear because I, I don't have fear um, of being out there alone. I, I think being on trail for anyone is, is just a wonderful place to be being in the outdoors and you can't not do it because you're worried about, you know, someone or something out there, because that's just no way to live your life. At least for me anyway. (laughs) I agree 100%. And I think talking about it, like you and I are doing right now and making these conversations public on this podcast and on your YouTube channel, allows other women to hear it and to think about ways to be prepared and maybe put some of those fears aside. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are thinking that what you and I do is absolutely nuts and that we shouldn't be out there doing it. And that's really sad because it's such an amazing experience to be out there on the trail and and especially to be out there alone. Not everybody has to go alone. You know, you can go with whoever you want, but if you're interested in going out alone and having that experience, you can think about how to prepare for it and, and not be so fearful of it and, and encourage other people to do it as well. Right. You just put up this wonderful video on your YouTube channel today about a particular trail that uh, I really want to talk about that just opened recently. But um, let's talk about that first before I ask my question, because I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the Blue Ridge Tunnel and that trail. I, I feel like it's all over social media right now. Everybody's talking about it. People are super excited about it. Why don't you go ahead and, and talk about the Blue Ridge Tunnel and what that was like when you went? Absolutely. So it's not every day in the state of Virginia that we get a brand new trail to go explore. And when I first heard about this trail and that it was going to be open and I'm like, I'm there. (laughs) So I decided to do it um, on my own. It was a solo hike and the Blue Ridge Tunnel is between uh, Charlottesville and Waynesboro. And it is a old abandoned train tunnel that was built in the 1850s. And it has been there, I mean, obviously since the 1850s, but uh, it has so much Virginia history attached to it. One of my favorite tidbits that I actually mentioned in my video was that during the Civil War, Confederate soldiers actually went through the one mile tunnel to go through the mountain instead of over the mountain. And when you think about all the people who it took to build it and all the trains that went through it and the people riding on those trains, you really, while you're walking through it, you really just are in awe that we are now walking through that tunnel. And this is a trail for everyone to enjoy. Um, the, the tunnel is basically a 2.25 mile hike and it's about maybe a quarter of a mile to get to the tunnel. And then once you reach it, there aren't any lights inside. It's completely dark. Um, You can see the other end of the tunnel and it doesn't seem like it's nearly a mile away, but it is. I I was a little 
um, not intimidated. I would say a little bit fearful of being in the tunnel um, because, you know, I, I have a family who used to, you know, be in the coal mines in West Virginia. And I've watched several of those uh, movies over the years with uh, coal mine collapses. And so that's the first thing that popped in my mind. And we do have earthquakes that we feel sometimes in Virginia. So knowing that 700 feet of mountain is above you was a little bit scary. Not necessarily that it was dark because I had my headlight and my flashlight, but just the point that, you know, something could happen while you're in here. And so I was basically working through my fear as I was actually videoing, you know, on YouTube. And I show that and I talk about it on my video um, that, you know, it's a real thing, but I made it through the end <laughs> and came back out the other side. And it is just a gem that we have to be able to go explore. It is truly one of the most unique hikes that I've ever been on in our state. You really worked that fear out very publicly in your video. In fact, the, <laughs> the comment you made that really stuck with me was, this fuels my sense of adventure, but it also fuels my sense of fear. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, I have an adventurous spirit. I have a gypsy soul and hiking kind of feeds that for me. But I, I also like being um, uncomfortable to a certain extent. I think we learn and grow when we're uncomfortable. And for me, you know, doing things like this helps that. Now, am I going to go jump out of an airplane? I, that's just not my thing. And I'm not going to feed that fear. But, you know, going hiking and seeing something that is this amazing outside, I'm going to do that for sure. And I encourage everybody to go check out this trail because it truly is, is something to see for sure. And it's great for kids. I mean, it's wheelchair accessible. You can ride your bike through it. Um, I saw people of all ages um, enjoying it from um, older um, men and women on canes walking through it. I mean, they were so excited because generations of their family had been in the process of building it. And so for them to have access to it and to be able to see what they heard the people in their family talk about for years was truly an experience for them. Obviously, people are really drawn to this uh, new tunnel because, like I said, I see people posting about it all over social media. I did a Google search about the tunnel. I found some information about the history of it. Mostly the pictures are of, you know, the, the two entrances because the inside is a dark tunnel. So I really didn't have any clue what it would be like to be on the inside of it. But watching your video was the first time that I really understood what it was like to be inside that tunnel. You did such a great job showing the ceiling and the walls and um, even the ground and talking about what you were seeing and hearing and even the temperature. I mean, you really described it very well so that people could understand why you would want to go experience that tunnel. Right. Well, you know, that part of that is the former teacher in me to over explain things. But at the same time, there's not a lot of information out there, like, like you said, you'll see a website with the history or a website with previous photos, but because it's so new, there's not a lot of information out there on it. And something as simple as how do I get there is really difficult to find. So I made sure when I did um, post my YouTube video on this tunnel in the description, I actually have listed out the two addresses of where you can go to find the parking lots, because it was hard for me trying to, to find out exactly where to go. And if people 
don't know how to get there, how can they go enjoy it? So I really try to give as much information as I can. And yeah, 50 degrees year round, that, that's a really cool uh, tidbit about the tunnel as well. And I, I actually felt like it was colder because my hands were like frozen by the time I walked back through. So if you're going to check out that trail, make sure you take gloves and make sure you take lots of flashlights so you can really see how incredible it is on the inside because there's so many different color bricks, which I never really thought would be inside the tunnel. I just assumed that you're going through the mountain. So it's just all going to be stone, but it, it really was a surprise to see all of those um, beautiful old bricks inside. There must be some other trails that are your favorites around the state. Do you have anything that you want to share as uh, either a favorite trail or just maybe a trail that you would highly recommend? Oh my gosh, there are so many. <laughs> I can literally <laughs> talk about this all day long. Um, let's see. Everybody likes a waterfall. So recently I went on what I have now determined as my absolute favorite Virginia waterfall, and that is Apple Orchard Falls. And that is located out near the Peaks of Otter area. And that uh, waterfall really is a two-part. There's an upper and lower falls. Um, Another one of the reasons why I love that fall so much is because it's a lesser known or a lesser height um, waterfall. Most people go to Crabtree Falls and Dark Hollow Falls in, in Shenandoah National Park. But this particular waterfall, I had the entire lower falls all to myself. And that was just a truly <laughs> awesome experience to be down there and to see that. I believe the bottom falls is something like 80 feet tall. So that's definitely um, my favorite um, waterfall hike. Um, maybe um, some beach hikes. Um, one, people really don't necessarily correlate hiking with the beach, but we have um, several of our nat natural area preserves um, that we have that you can go check out. Um, one's on the eastern shore of Virginia, and that's uh, Savage Neck Dunes mm -hmm. uh, Nature Area. And that is just you have the whole beach to yourself to go and explore and to see the horseshoe crabs that have washed up on shore and just, it, it's just, you can see turtles, uh, you know, laying eggs and, and going back out. And it, it that's really awesome. Um, and there's one more Grandview nature preserve that's actually down in Virginia beach. That one is, um, also, um, it's right outside of a neighborhood. So that one's a little bit more populated as far as the beach area, but it's the same, the same way. Uh, it, it's just a really unique hike to go on. Um, I really like to talk about like the lesser known hikes because I feel like those aren't represented um, in resources online as much as the really popular ones. So another smaller one that I thought was pretty interesting was Point of Rocks, um, which is down in Chesterfield County, Virginia. And it's right along the Appomattox River. And you have these really incredible boardwalks that go through the marsh area. And it, it's just a different type of hike. Um, most people always uh, assume that, you know, you're talking about hikes, you're going to go out to the mountains, but there's so many other places that we have here in Virginia that you can go check out. And another one, not very far from there is the uh, Dutch Gap Conservation Area. And what's really neat about that place is they also have a kayak trail um, that they have there. And you can take your kayak and go explore the old uh, boat graveyard that they have there um, that has like sunken barges. And it really is a great place to go bird watch. 
tons of great uh, non-poisonous snakes and frogs and turtles. I mean, you really see a lot of wildlife. So it's a great uh, hike for kids um, as well. And I couldn't complete this list if I didn't mention Virginia Fire Towers because they are one of my favorite places to go check out because we don't have very many of them left. Um, I know you actually went to one recently as well. Yeah, high, um, high Knob Fire Tower and Shenandoah Mountain. Yes, and, and, and you just get a, a unique perspective being up on those fire towers and then the history of them because we don't use fire towers um, anymore um, for fire spotting like we did um, many years ago. So yeah, that one and then um, Woodstock Fire Tower um, is out on the Virginia, West Virginia line and that is, is amazing. And you can go up to the top in both of them. Um, they're both stable. Um, they're both um, maintained and everything. And they just give a 360 view and you can get sunrises and sunsets up there if you want to hike later or hike earlier um, to get up there. But for sure, fire towers are a definitely a unique, a, a unique hike to go check out for sure. Yeah, the way it was explained to me as far as the history of the fire towers is that they were being used for you know, several decades, and then eventually they weren't needed anymore because of all the technology we have now. And so most of them were torn down, and the mm -hmm. ones that still are standing are because somebody somewhere along the way advocated for preserving it for whatever reason, either because of its historical significance or um, because of the architecture of the fire tower, but there's really only a handful left and they seem to be mostly, um, and I could be wrong about this. So, but from what I know, the ones that are coming to mind seem to be along the state line. And when you do go up to the top, you can see, like you said, 360 degree views, but oftentimes you can see more than one state. And there's one down in Southwest. I'm going to have to look it up and put it in the show notes for people who are curious. Um, but I think there were five states, like you could see all the way to Ohio mm -hmm. from, from up there, which was incredible. And I was up there during a sunset and there just are no adjectives to describe what it's like when you're up there. It does get very cold though, even in summer. I think people um, need to know that when you're at that high of an elevation and the sun starts to drop, you better be prepared. And it can be windy too. Absolutely. And that that's not just for fire towers. That is on top of uh, any mountain. I recently went up to Mount Pleasant and had a camping overnight trip. You can actually camp up there on the summit and there are five different stealth campsites. And the wind really dropped the temperature, I would say at least a good 10 degrees. So I while I anticipated it was going to be cold, it was cold. <laughs> I mean, I had on every layer of clothing that I have. So I think it's important for, for, especially if you're just starting out with hiking to make sure, you know, in the fall, winter and spring that you may take an extra layer with you when you go up to those elevations, because just because the, they say the temperature down in the valley is a certain temperature, doesn't mean that that's what the temperature is going to be when you get to the top of the mountain, because it's definitely going to be colder. Yeah, the wind especially will do it. It will just cut right through your clothing. It can be really rough. You need to be prepared for that. Um, so if people want to know about more about those hikes that you just mentioned, do you have videos on your YouTube channel for each one of those hikes? Oh, absolutely. Every, every one that I've mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much video everywhere I go. Every once in a while, um, I don't for, for different reasons. But um, yeah, so I have my um, YouTube channel 
or via Hacker Girl, um, broken down t- into sections. Shenandoah National Park hikes, Appalachian Trail hikes, uh, George Washington and Jefferson National Forest, um, state parks. Um, if you're looking to do one of our 39 Virginia state parks, you can go on there and find find one of those. I've done, tw- I think I, I looked it up the other day. I d- I've done 23 out of 39. So I still have some ways to go to, to put the other parks up there, but that'll give you some place to start if you're interested um, I ha- also have it broken down into small parks and nature preserves. Um, I am from the Richmond area, so I have uh, Richmond hikes there. Also, uh, Maryland and West Virginia hikes. I do love the state of Maryland as being a neighbor to Virginia. There's a lot of great hikes up there uh, to go explore. And I also have like hiking tips, anything from safety to um how to hunt for morel mushrooms in the spring um, that we're so fortunate in Virginia to be able to have come up. Gosh, whether you want boots or um, uh, trail runners to hike in, I have lots of stuff like that. We've talked about hiking food that you can find um, on the channel. And I show different places you can go camp, um, different places you can go kayak. Um, So yeah, lots of different, different, um, elements on the channel that if you come and check it out, you might find something someplace you want to go or maybe find some information that you didn't know you needed to know. (laughs) (laughs) What keeps you motivated to continue? Is it the feedback you're getting on your YouTube channel? Is it meeting new people along the way? Is it something I haven't mentioned? What keeps you motivated? Well, I love to hike. I love the outdoors in general. And I sort of have been bitten by the bug, if you will. Um, Adventure just in general for me is just something that kind of feeds my soul. And I don't think I'll ever stop. Um, No matter where I live, I'm I'm always going to be someone who goes into the outdoors. Um, We just have so much to see, not just in Virginia, but across the United States with all of our uh, gorgeous uh, national parks um, that we have. And, you know, outside of just loving the outdoors, hiking is kind of nature therapy for me. And it's my way to refocus, recharge and recenter myself. So you know, it really does make me, I feel a better person, makes me a better mom, a a better friend, because I'm able to get out there and get away from it all. And it's just a great form of exercise too. You really can't beat it. I mean, walking, climbing mountains, uh, climbing up boulders. I mean, it really is uh, a total body workout sometimes when you're doing those rock scrambles. So yeah, I'm, I'm never going to stop. I think this is a, a lifelong thing for me that I just really enjoy. I really enjoy your videos and I really enjoy your posts on Instagram and <laughs> Facebook. And I hope that you continue doing it. I hope that you and I can get together for more hikes in the future. Oh my gosh, definitely. I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think we are getting ready to land this plane. And I want to ask you a couple of closing questions that I ask all of my guests. The first one is, what is one piece of gear you can't live without? Well, I guess it's kind of cliche, but I am a hiker. And if my feet aren't happy, I'm not happy. So for sure, my hiking shoes. I wear ultra Olympus and they are like walking on clouds. I don't feel the sharp rocks and 
that is great. So never have had a foot problem since I started wearing them. So by far shoes, definitely. And you and I talked a little bit about um, people who are gravitating more towards uh, a trail running shoe or a hiking shoe as opposed to the, the hiking boots. And what is the difference between the two? I started off wearing hiking boots because that's kind of what the mainstream does. You know, when you start researching hiking, oh, you've got to get a strong, sturdy boot. But the more I wore the boot, I felt so confined. I felt like it almost slowed me down. And so I started researching on YouTube, of course, uh, about trail runners and what they do versus what a boot does. And basically a trail runner allows you more range of movement, just like an athlete would be if they are, you know, running um, in the Olympics and they have a certain shoe for that. Hiking shoes have come a long way and they really have more support than people think. Cause that's the first thing I always hear people say, Oh, I can't go for a hiking shoe because I'm not going to have the ankle support. Well, you may not actually need the ankle support unless you have troubled ankles. You don't necessarily need that because I made the switch and I don't think I've put my hiking boots on maybe once or twice since I switched over to trail runners. They really are breathable to allow your feet to breathe, or if you get your feet wet, they dry out very quickly. Um, along with if you have the right socks, like a merino wool type sock. Um, and also, you know, they really are built a lot of the new ones with gaiters where you can, a gaiter is something that you put up um, around your ankle and you attach it to your shoe and that prevents rocks and debris and dirt from getting in. And I mean, that happened to me all the time. So having gators has greatly reduced that, but they really are just a lightweight version. So you, you don't feel necessarily, at least me, I didn't feel as tired at the end of the hike because boots can be very heavy depending on which ones that you get. And the trail runners are very lightweight. So I just feel like my overall performance and experience really was heightened by switching over to trail runners. So what is your next big Virginia outdoor adventure? I can't wait to hear it because I know we're <laughs> going to see it on YouTube, but if, for all the listeners, can you give us a little bit of insight what's coming next? Well, I have so many. I mean, I have a big, long spreadsheet of places that I want to do and go explore, but I really do need to get back to doing some more of my section hiking, the Appalachian Trail. Um, I have done a few sections here and there, but we have 544 miles in in our state to go explore. So I definitely will be doing more of those um, section hikes. The Triple Crown, um, which is a 35.1 mile hike um, that includes Tinker Cliffs, Dragon's Tooth and McAfee Knob has been on my list and has been scheduled many times this year, but due to COVID and weather, I have put that off. So that one is definitely uh, high on my list. And I really want to get out to the Southwestern point of Virginia. That's a little bit of a more of a drive for me, but there's so many incredible places to go check out out there. So the channels, um, which are kind of like mini slot canyons, if you've seen some, you know, some of those out West, um, but also the Grayson Highlands um, area on the Appalachian Trail out there. I'd, I'd also planned a three-day hike out there and COVID messed that up too. So that's definitely going to be rescheduled probably in the spring when it's a little bit um, warmer out there. But something I've been wanting to do for a long time is the five peaks over 5,000 foot. 
um, challenge. And basically we have um, several peaks that are over the 5,000 feet in elevation, one of which the highest is Mount Rogers. So you have to do Mount Rogers, White Top Mountain, I think it's Pine Mountain and Little Pinnacle. And then for the fifth one, you can choose if you want it to be Wilburn Ridge or the Big Pinnacle. And so just to have, you know, completed that, because my mind works well with setting goals and challenges. So I really want to get that 5,000 foot patch. So that's definitely on my list. Jacqueline, RVA hiker girl, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Um, I encourage everybody to go to your YouTube channel. They can find you by searching RVA hiker girl um, and also your Instagram account by the same same handle um, and to see exactly what you've been doing and to learn more about the way the hikes that you have done and the ways that you share information about hiking so that hiking can be accessible to everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoyed the show, please consider supporting us. Rate, review, and share with a friend. Follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you may listen to podcasts. Virginia Outdoor Adventures is hosted by me, Jessica Bowser. Cover art illustrated by Olivia Smith. Editing by Alexander Valencia. Executive production by Steph Garrett. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us on our website, virginiaoutdooradventures.com. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, adventure on.